And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble on the drum. Beat out old trouble on the drum. Beat out old trouble on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the door. Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano and the program will be podcast. Unfortunately, our producer is in Sin City for the day. Could you imagine that, just flying to Sydney and back for the day? This is what happens when people get part-time employment. You just can't trust them. Our guest is in Brisbane town. An icon at four triple Z, Mr. Ian Kerr. How are you, Ian? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm brilliantly well. Michaela here, who's done all the technical stuff in Inept, is going to disappear because she's got things to do. So if the line falls out, some very talented people from the front, including your very own Inez, who's now at 3CR, will wander down and put us back online. How does that sound? Sounds good. It's good that these Queensland people are showing you, Melbourne lot, what to do. Excuse me, sonny boy. What year were you born? Uh, 1950. You bastard. Yeah, yeah, I'm senior to you, Joe. I'm pulling rank, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I was born in 51. Were you born at the Royal Brisbane Hospital in Hurston like me? No, I wasn't. I was Where bo- were you born? I was born in Orkinflower in a private hospital. Oh, that explains it, doesn't it? That explains the difference. Private hospital at Orkinflower in 1950. It was a falling... Was millionaires it was, or something. It was a falling down house. And my um, my parents were bro- bone motherless broke. What were your charity delivery, were you? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so uh, I assume, like me, your parents have gone to the other world? They have. Yeah. Could you tell us much about your parents, where they came from, what type of people they were? My parents were cousins. Cousins. Well, so, first, second, third or fourth? Uh, second, once removed. Uh, kissing cousins, then. That's okay. Once removed is all right. They had to get... Spe- they didn't follow the Egyptian pharaohs. No. They didn't marry their sister. But they did follow Archbishop Jewick, who had to give them... The Catholic Archbishop of Brisbane had to give them special dispensation to get married. Oh, I remember Archbishop Jewick. Yeah, he was a supporter of the fascists. Of course he was. They all were. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he, he specifically... Hitler was... were heroes in, in Australia, in in the 30s, the New Guard movement, you know, it was wonderful, wonderful yeah. time. But he built a church on top of every hill. Yep, well. And now they're all worth millions and millions of dollars. And that's why you always want to be higher than those pesky Anglicans that stole all the church property during Henry VIII. Isn't yeah. that correct? Yes. Um, you haven't told us about your parents. What were they now? Tell us what they were like. What did they do? Where did they come from? My dad's, my dad's name was Joe. And uh, he started life working as a jackaroo. Yep. 
out west. Yep. And my mum, her name was, well, it's a, her name was really Jane Mary Betty. Um, her family called her Bet, but everyone called her Tina. I was delivered by an Italian doctor, and I nearly... It wasn't Dr. Castellani, was it? I'm not sure, but... I bet you it was. I'm going to tell you a story about that. Yep. There's only one Italian doctor in Brisbane at that particular time, and that was Dr. Castellani. And he actually was a fascist doctor that was sent out with three other fascist doctors by Mussolini in the early 1930s to North Queensland to set up clinic for Italian migrants. No, I didn't know that, and I bet he would have been very sad because... He saved my life at birth. Yes. The cord got caught around my throat. Yep. And uh, the nurses were couldn't figure out what to do. Mm. And he stormed into the room and, and saved me. And I gasped for air, apparently. Yeah. So, um, Very nice of him. He'd be, he'd be pretty upset to think that he saved the life of a, no, a budding red. <laughs> like many old fascists and Nazis, he reinvented himself. If it was Dr. Castellani, and he was all Castellano, he was based in Fortitude Valley, and he was the doyen of the Italian community of the 50s. He even got some Australian honour as Italian. So you... One day, you, you like this, I was five, right? You like, And there was only one Italian shop in the Brisbane Fortitude Valley. Yeah. We, and we'd go there for the lemon granita. The old man would take me and the Mitusa down there maybe once a month. Yeah. I must have been six or seven. And the great man, you know, who was talking to the mass as he did, had dropped some money on the ground. And I picked it up and I gave it. And I motioned to give it to him. He said, he said, give it to the boy. Let the boy have it. How's that? Now, I'm just <laughs> worried about the facts here, uh, Joe, because you remember um, Dr. Salento. Uh, no, well, Salento, they're not... Well, Th- oh, born here. Why aren't they real Italians? They were born here. Was Salento no, born was here? here from Italy. He was born in Italy. I'm not a real Italian. I'm, you know, I'm Italian heritage. Doesn't make me an Italian. Well, you know, he ran the health department, didn't he? Well, that's what I mean. The, the clientes were a very, very important group or a, a family. Yep. In North Queensland, and uh, they were kind of a disparate bunch. You had them, they were all over the place on their political and uh, environmental. Maybe yeah. it was him. Maybe it was him. Yeah, because um, I don't think it was, though, because um, your, your Dr. Castellani, Castellani, did you say? I think that's what was it. Hey. Yeah, that that's more rings a bell with me, because my mother, um, she, she actually got along pretty well with that guy. Me, you're not his son, are you? They said that I came, I'm the only one in my family that's dark. Yeah. The other, my three siblings are, are blonde headed. Right. But, um, I better watch what I say here because my sister <laughs> are Pamela. Are your siblings still alive? Pamela Kerr, you you know her? Yeah, yeah. You, you gave her a. a um, Eureka Australia medal, yeah. That's it. And um, you also gave another mate of mine a Eureka Australia medal. That was. We must have been desperate. Who was that? Bob Walker from oh, yeah, good old Bobby. Is he still alive? No, his son came and got it. That's I, right, he picked it up. I remember that. And that's and you mightn't remember, but I I strolled up to you outside the Ballarat town town hall, oh, and right. you were heavily engaged in conversation with the mayor, who she uh, had put up the Eureka flag outside. Yeah, she was very the only the only decent Ballarat mayor since eighteen fifty. Okay? <laughs> Seriously, I, be- I believe you. <laughs> she was a decent human being. The rest uh, of them, I was pretty shocked by Ballarat and how conservative it. It hasn't changed. It's got worse. Yeah, but it was that was a very good that that would have been about 2011, 2012 when you did That's that. Right. And yeah. um, she was, was very inclusive. 
Yeah. She did it. She bought the disparate elements that celebrated, uh, irrespective of their position, political positions and ideological positions, together. Uh, and uh, we used to have meetings with the mayor once every three months or so. Yeah. And she knew how to... Uh, I re-met her, and she's now one of the members of the Ballarat Terry, you know, the, the governor. Yes. Now, let's get back to you. This is boring. This yeah. is obviously boring, people. Oh, I don't know. Look, I said to Ines, have you got any dirt? On Ian Kerr. She said, he's a lovely human being. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought to myself, what's the point of talking to a lovely human being? Oh, no, she's covering for me. Is she? Yeah, she she knows the dirt on me. Well, she was was station manager. She would know. She's very diplomatic, Ines. All right. You were born in Orkinflower. Where did you go to primary? Catholic, Uh, I assume. Yeah, a Bridgetine convent in Drapilli. Very nice. Very nice. It was a co-ed. Boys and girls, and I went there till the fourth grade, and then I went to Nudgee Junior College, which was a Christian Brothers school. Oh, Nudgee! I used to hear stories about Nudgee when I was a lad at Maruka State School. What sort of stories were they? Hey, what sort of stories did you hear? Well, the type of stories that were brought up in the uh, Royal Institutional Child. I was never abused by the Christian Brothers, but I know people who were. So what was it? What was it like? Um, Girls, the Christian brothers. Was it tough, easy? What? Um, I didn't like school, um, but then I just sort of didn't. I didn't really fit in properly at the school because you had to be very good at sport, and I was really no good at. Sport. You haven't got any eye eye coordination or eye hand coordination. No, I I don't know what it was um, because I am you know even a, a man of. 73 i've just finished a a part a 1200 kilometer ride we're riding from um a, I'm dying here. a 1200 kilometer ride yeah we're riding from camel or something we're riding we've been riding from canberra to havana we've arrived in havana well in cuba in cuba yes and we've completed uh hang on hang on hang on let's talk about this later i'm just so confused let's do this chronologically <laughs> I mean, you got to Havana on this 1,200-kilometre ride. Yeah, it's a, it, we do it by putting it onto a, a website and everyone contributes. We've got 60 riders and we've... Um, is, my, is this a virtual ride? It's a virtual ride. It's not the, interested. Let's go back to Pi School. Okay. We could talk about the virtual ride later on in the program. Yep. No, me, I'm a 21st century Luddite. It's now, called From Australia to Cuba with Love. We want to end the US blockade. And I'm, tonight I'm going to interview the Cuban ambassador who's coming to Trades Hall here. Well, it's interesting. Uh, well, I got my plug in, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, well, could you... Yeah, Trades Hall tonight, Cuba, yep. Cuban ambassador, what time? It's 6.30. Yep. And um, that's it. That's Brisbane Trades Hall, not Melbourne Trades Hall. So. Of course, yeah. You're... But anyway, if they listen could to you... Could you ask the Cuban ambassador a question privately? Yes, I will. I'm being serious. She, she's a new ambassador, obviously. That's right, and apparently and she very had good. promised the West Papuan office here in Melbourne that she would come and speak on the 11th of September and yep. are in the process of buying her ticket and she withdrew. So I wonder if there, any political pressure was placed on uh, to withdraw from that speaking gauge. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm asking you to find out. You're, you're right. the bloody reporter. You're interviewing her. That's right. You know, do it privately. Just ask her. Because we... We would have been very keen for her to come along. Now we've got to do some virtual shit. You know, people in Cuba couldn't she withdrew. Well, of course, the Cubans have been very supportive of both uh, West Papua and East Timor over the years. Well, they had been. Yeah. Yeah, 
and that's why she was invited. And they were sending doctors, and they still send doctors to East. That's right. Now let's get back to the bloody high school. Yep. Down at Nundi Brothers, Christian Brothers, whatever it is. So did you graduate? Did you get to year 12? I got to year 12, yes. And, and were you one of these brilliant working class students ready to attack university? No, I was average and I went straight out to work. Average? Yep. Didn't you get a Commonwealth scholarship? Nope. I didn't. How come you're average? You're no good at sport. You're average academically. What's going on? I went and worked. Put around your neck kind of affected your intellectual capacity or something. Uh, no, no. I just, I was, you know, I mean, the world is not made of the elites. You know that, Joe. <laughs> well, this is a program. <laughs> 56 minutes. We, unlike 4 we have no community announced on this program anyway. We do want to agree. No ads. So I've got to build it up. Yeah. All right. So you left. What did you start? What did you do? This was 1970 or 69? Uh, no, um, it was 1967. I was 16 years of age. So you didn't, you didn't even do year 12? Yeah, I did 12. I was 16 right. when I did 12. And then I worked. I was still 16 and I went and worked at the, um, the Department of Immunology at the University of Queensland as a laboratory cadet. I know. How many years were you there for? I was there for a, about a year and a half. Right. And then? And then I entered medicine. Yeah. And I paid my way through first year medicine, and then I got a Commonwealth scholarship. Yep. Keep going. So I, we were probably in this probably a year apart in medicine, you and I. Yeah, we would have been. I started, yeah. I think, nineteenth right? Yeah. So. Um, started in '69. I started in. I started medicine in '69 as well. Yeah, I started in seven. There was about three hundred and fifty people in first year. Yeah, and about one hundred and eighty in second year. Yeah, that's right. They failed half of them, but I managed to get through, so they gave me a Commonwealth. Right, and did you finish your medical degree? No. Um, what I, happened? You didn't get involved in the anti-Vietnam moratorium. I did. Went, I went to the uh, moratorium march in the second year, yep. um, And uh, but that was, I, I failed second year. What did you fail? Physiology? That was pretty hard in those days. Uh, no, I, I failed biochemistry. Well, then you should have been able to repeat it. I did repeat. And um, and then I failed the repeat year. I forgot the professor. I used to call in the students who didn't actually just was you know. Need... Eric Saint. That's right, good old Professor Saint. He called me in and he said, "You're just not good enough." <laughs> and uh, he he saved my bacon. He saved your bacon. You yeah. mean you don't want to? You don't want to be like me, forty-seven years in the medical profession. I do not want to be part of the medical industrial complex. Yeah. You like me, you know, I'm still practicing, haven't got it right yet, so I didn't yeah. learn much at Saint, did I? No. <laughs> right, so he failed you. He said it to you, Eric, he said, Yeah, soft son, we don't need your Exactly. And um And after that, did you try you know, did you take up alcohol and drugs or did you just get on with life? No, I just got on with life and I went and worked on Fraser Island and um Yeah, I... you weren't culling dingoes, were you? No, I was managing their airport and their garden. Like when I say manage, I was making sure the grass grew on the, there was a resort. <laughs> and I made sure that grass grew. And I took, uh, with an Irishman, I took people on tours in this six-wheeled Judy Baker truck. Right. It was owned by the uh, Doug Anthony's brother. Really? Yeah, they used to fly in pissed on Fridays. And um, sometimes they would crash into the sea. And sometimes they would like hit the runway, but I had all of these, uh, you know, those old sprinklers that go berserk, 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 and when they, when the water hit their windscreen, they'd just suddenly turn the wheel around and their nose would go into the, 
into the grassy sort of sandy aerodrome and they're all pretty pissed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One guy did drop his plane into off Indian Head there, you know, and uh, that's where they called Indian Head because Captain Cook saw the local bachelor people lived there and, you know, he called it Indian Head. You know, they that those people have only just got their land back. That's right, Reese. Yeah. Didn't you, um, how many years did you hang out there for? I did odd jobs for years and years, but part-time I completed a science degree. Right. Peters. That's right, and I um I I you supplement your science degree with political. I I was mainly um I, I waited till I graduated and then I just went political. Right. And uh, Bielke Peterson, we were organising uh, pickets against the uranium mining and export right. down at the Hamilton Number no. Four Wharf in Brisbane. Mm. Uh, we had a close relationship to the Waterside Workers Federation. And we stopped the ships by sitting on the railway tracks and by getting on the wharves and the wharfies would, wouldn't load the ship. Yeah, what year was that? 1977. Well, these years they just run over you, you know, that's the ball game. Well, um, it depends on what union you're dealing with. Well, bullshit. Look, I, we've got a, we're involved in a big campaign. A lot of people at 3CR and other groups are involved in a campaign regarding public housing. And there's a woman, Margaret Kelly, who resisted eviction because they're going to knock down this public housing estate, a gentrified privately owned flats at the public land and they're going to get 100 community houses, private housing. And we've been, and yesterday, you may have noticed the construction union boss federally spoke about a super profits tax going to housing. Yes. Now we've been begging, we've been begging the unions here in Victoria to put a, a green ban on the demolition with the state to raise the profit count, knowing none whatsoever. Well, that's bad. It is terrible. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, this is an opportunity begging. They're interested in housing. Bang, public housing, bang. This is an opportunity. All they do is just slap a green band, raise the issue in the public's mind. All right, let's move on to you, right? So how long did you last at Fraser Island? Uh, I, my mate, who was a cook there, got the sack. Well, and, he uh, poisoned everybody, didn't he? No, no, he was, he was a good cook, actually. Um, uh-huh. It was some storm in a teacup, and they sacked him, so I, feel, I went out with him in solidarity. I, did, I went home. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Yeah. The management there. I hope you didn't have a family at that stage because I think you'd think twice about going out for hours. No, no, I was, I was sig- single. I didn't really ever believe in marriage, and I never got married. Well, oh. I did get married once, but it was not that kind of marriage. It was in order to, um, to go to Latin America. Yeah. You don't want to know about how I was deported for stowing away on a ship. I, eh? I would, I want to know about that, but <laughs> if you did something illegal, we don't want you to get processed. Occasionally, people we may get one or two like your program at Four Triple Z. We get a few listeners occasionally. You know that I do. I, yes, I listen to you. Did you pull? Three CR is a good radio station. Of course it is. Yeah, I went to one of the early meetings in the Collingwood Town Hall. It would have been about 1975, 76. And right. uh, the BLs were but, still laying the bricks. That's right. It was a different ball game. And they were protesting against the freeway then. That's right. And the uh, uh, the what do they call them? The the Monash Maoists came over and took over the meeting, and oh. we ended up being out out on the street uh, stopping the traffic. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get back to you. Yeah. So you got married. What did you get married for again? Um, the plan was that we would stow away on a ship. We'd go to Panama, but we, but we got caught in Wellington in New Zealand. Why did you get married to stow away on a ship? I we were told we were very young, and we were told that if you 
if you were like married, you're sort of more acceptable in Central and Latin America to the authorities. Like if you're just single person, they might just chuck you in a jail or something like that. But if you're married, it sort of gave you more respectability. Uh-huh. What, you do know, you remember what year this was? Uh, 1975. So this is at the height of all the um, kerfuffle in South America when people began to check up against the United States. Exactly. The that's, Imperial Empire. That's right. All right, yeah. so you got on a ship. How far did you get? We got to Wellington in New Zealand and uh, we got busted and put in prison. My my partner then, Corin, got put in North Island prison and I was put, put in Mount Crawford, a, a very cold place and most of the inmates were Maori. Yeah, yeah. So don't tell me that a treaty of Waitangi is necessarily, uh, you know, a, a, a golden pathway to the future. Well, it may not be a golden pathway, but at least foothold to the future. It is. Getting yeah. back, so who deported you? The New Zealand government? Yep, they took, they uh, they dragged me out of, uh, I was put in solitary confinement and I went on a, a hunger strike and, yep. th- and about three days after I was taken there, I was dragged out at 3am in the morning and taken down to Air New Zealand, the airport at Wellington. Mm-hmm. And then I was still handcuffed. I didn't know what was happening. And they presented me to the desk of um, New Zealand Airlines. And the person on the other side of the counter said, sir, have you got any luggage? I said, yeah, I've got a toothbrush. And that's all I had. And they they walked me to the door and pointed at the plane, then undid the handcuffs and said, off you go. And I climbed on board and flew flown back to Sydney. Now, do, do, do you understand the irony of all this? This happened today. You would be charged under the Anti-Terrorist Act because you would be designated as a foreign fighters going overseas to participate in a, you know, as a merciful, well, not as a, you know, as a revolutionary or radical or whatever, and you could be jailed for up to 25 years. So you're lucky you were just deported, mate. It wasn't 2021 or 2023. Yeah, but at that stage, Joe, I wasn't, even though I was active, I was not known. I had never been arrested. I, I didn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you know, and you were going to an area where there was civil strife. What, in New Zealand? In, we're not interested in your bloody excuses. In New Zealand? Jailed as a terrorist. No, I was arrested under the Seamen and Shipping Act for being a Well, no wonder you were deported. <laughs> in the good old days, in the good old days, you could actually get a good passage on, on a ship as long as you're in with the seamen. They were quite happy. Yeah, that's what the seamen told me. They said yeah. I was foolish. Yeah. I, I should have gone and slipped them a tenner and they would have got me on, on board and... Yeah. We did. Go, we wanted to visit some friends in New Zealand on our on a voyage, and uh, oh, we did get to God. see them through the right. the, right. the bars. In the, right. <laughs> so when you came back to Australia, was this pre or post Whitlam? I uh, came back to Australia, and it was still pre the Whitlam dismissal. Ah, so you would have just walked into the airport and hopefully had the handcuffs by then. No, the Australian Federal Police called us into. I was with my girlfriend, yeah. and they called us into a side room. And, and said, uh, now, we've, hear, we've heard that you've been stowing away on a ship. Uh, could you tell us about what happened arrived in Wellington? So I told them what happened. I was put on the deck of the police boat in the sleet, taken to the Wellington Watch House, denied um, a blanket that night. We were both freezing cold. We couldn't go to sleep by this very hard... Uh, watch house sergeant and they said well what was the guy's name and I, I don't remember it now but something like Fitzpatrick or something and they said yeah the old bastard we used to work with him and they laughed and they laughed and they said oh you're free to go I said well, <laughs> well why are we in here they said we just wanted to find out what if that old bastard is still like he used to be 
<laughs> he didn't like Australians, obviously. Yeah. Uh, were you gainfully employed after that? Were you making heaps of money? No, I never made heaps of money. I, um, What's wrong I, with you? You were, you were born in a private hospital. You started off on the right track. No, no, we were poor. It doesn't matter, you're still born in a private hospital. Yeah, I, I don't know what the go was there. I don't know why I was born there, really. But um, the the thing was, um, I had, I, you know, I worked in every every job I could find. And in those days, even with a degree, 30% of the people in my graduation, in my my area of science, um, only 30% of them. What was your area of um, I was... I had a, a major in zoology, and I, and I did my my honours in uh, marine biology. My God, they'd snap you up in an instant today. Maybe, but not then. It was the not age of Bjelke Peterson of Crownathorn Starfish and Robert Endine and all these guys who were all uh, bigwigs and they were all pretty right-wing. Yeah, I remember Robert Endine yeah. Look, uh, you, you may find this hard to believe, but we're halfway through this chat. This is Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, so... Radical Australia. I get a bit confused sometimes, Ian. Don't worry, I programs have got to that age. This is Radical Australia. We're chatting with Ian Kerr from 4ZZZ. I'm not at 4ZZZ anymore, Joe. I was cancelled. What? You've been rubbed out? I was cancelled, yes. Oh, okay. Well, get this. this. Oh, i got a bit of dirt now. This sounds interesting, but let's go back. 75, you did tons of odd jobs and, what, you never grew roots anywhere? Never bought a house, boat, horse? Uh... I, with a friend, I bought a boat uh, for $3,000 and I lived on the river near um, the University of Queensland. And uh, for three years I lived there. And That's quite nice. Well, it was it was very ordinary boat and and but yeah it was it was it was pleasant but i after those three years i, I wanted more human company so i moved into a share house right. and i learned all about life was it was that the biggest mistake of your life the share house no i learned about <laughs> communal limit living I, I learned how to cook for large groups of people so it was not all bad <laughs> i met a lot of people and uh we did a campaign um for public transport um right. And uh, we were against... You've got them. buses in Brisbane. What do, you, what, do you, what do you need anything else? Well, you might remember, as being a, an ex-University of Queensland student, there was almost, almost no buses ever went to the university. St. Lucia. Yeah. Right. And we used to hitchhike from the hitching rail out there in front of the Department of Agriculture. That's right. Everyone used to just line up and people would pick you up and take you to the train at at Tuong or take you to a bus in, or go, take you to the city. So that's there was no tr- public transport in those days. But our big concern then was, you'll remember, in California, they ripped up all the railways and the, the big oil companies and the big tyre companies built f- freeways. And the same thing happened here in Brisbane. It was called the Wilbur Smith Scheme. And oh, they, the Wilbur Scheme, yep. yep. And they... They wanted to build all these freeways, and it led to what is now famously known as the the Battle for Bowen Hill. Tell us about the battle. They wanted to build a southeast freeway, which they did construct, and also a northern freeway to go up to the north coast. And um, unfortunately for them, the Department of Main Roads owned all the houses in Bowen Hill, a lot of them on this route, and they wanted to kick all the tenants out, and the tenants resisted. And so a group of us from the university uh, went and assisted the tenant, and um, so they called in the cops and, and 
started evicting people and arresting people. Uh, but the resistance was strong enough that in the end, uh, by the time Tommy Wren became the Minister for Local Government in 1972, he then said, no, we won't build that freeway on the north side. And, that, and there's no freeway there even today. Oh, yeah, from Labor government. Yeah, well, this, 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 no, no, we relied upon our own organisation. I understand, I understand, but they actually made that. Well, but I'm talking about, you know... Tom Nguyen knew which side of his bread was buttered on because when we defied the street march ban, Tom flew up here and marched with us, got arrested. So he knew that that was the thing to do and he was going to get, he got re-elected on the, on the strength of, of that stance that he took against the Bjelke-Peterson government. Well, that's right. I mean, Tom Nguyen, the old, old Labour tradition before of Europe. So these are the glory days of Ross Hins, aren't Rhodes? Yeah, minister for everything. Yeah, that's right. I like this story, I don't know if it's true or not, that he was pissed off about getting to his home in the Gold Coast, so he had the highway built from Brisbane to his house, is that correct? Not not really correct. He, ha- he had a quarry and the, the, the freeway went near the quarry but not to it. Right. And that quarry was used to build the, the art gallery and the um, museum on the South Bank and then, because it you know, became his his trucks, they were pink, became the, they provided the concrete and all of the, um, the, you know, the gravel and stuff like that. I, I worked on that building site and uh, helped put up all of the brass handrails. Right, so what union were you with? I tried to join the, um, the, firstly I tried to join the metal workers because they had the best award. Right. And they knocked me back. They said, no, you're you're actually only uh, a casual. And so I went up and tried to get a ticket from the builders laborers. And they said, well, strictly, you're not really part of our, we don't have um, any standing at that site. And then eventually I was, um, uh, I was in the AW, just a miscellaneous sort of. Funny how, you know, little moments change trajectory in life. I remember in 97 or 68, I must, me and a mate, we walked up the rickety stairs to uh, ALP headquarters. We said we'd join the ALP, right? Yeah. we come to join the ALP and these yeah. old bastards never, oh, fuck off. We don't want any new members, especially young people. Fuck off. Yeah. Got me on my radical uh, bicycle in those days. Unbelievable. You had the same experience. Well, uh, not not really. I mean, Bjelke Peterson was extremely um, hard on the union and they were caught, you know, like I, 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 I've been... Uh, they, were, they were caught in their own 30s when the ALP was dominant, you know, Things had changed. I, I was a member of. Thinking. I was a union member throughout my working life. Retired now, and I've been in good unions and I've been in bad unions. And right. um, and some of the best unions I've been in have fought. Um, you know, they they fought along with us on the left with, with some really big campaigns. You know, and but I'm not. I'm not trying to. No, 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 no. You know, I mean, they. Your they, experience. It's your experience. Some of our mates, you know, during the SEQEB dispute in 1985, their union, the Electrical Trades Union and the Trades and Labour Council, they sold them out. They sold out the 1,001 workers that were sacked. Very nasty. Yeah. So... So what, you worked in these type of casual, semi-casual positions all your life till you retired, or did you...? No, um, after eight years of working in those casual jobs, I did the public service exam, mm-hmm. and I began working as a temporary still in 1982 for what was then known as telecom, being converted from yep. the PMG to telecom. And I worked there for two years, and then my union, after Hawke was elected in 83, my union said... 
you've either got to employ, oh, I was one of thousands, you've either got to employ these people or sack them, and manage, tel, telecom management employed us. So that was, uh, I stayed with telecom for three years, and then I transferred to the Department of Social Security, and then I spent about 15 years working in the Australian tax. Yes, the Australian tax, that's when you didn't, hadn't been semi prized is that correct? Um, the no, the tax office has always been. Well, there were sections of the tax office that I worked in which were privatised. Yeah. That was debt collection. But I became. I eventually, like I, I sat for various exams. I got another degree in um, tax law and accounting, and then I uh, became a executive level technical office office, and I worked in the high wealth individual section. High wealth individuals have a patient now retired who worked high wealth section and sometimes she'd tell me she'd be on a case of 10 to 18 months. Yeah, that's right. You have cases like that? Um, well, I... I don't want any specific details, but cases that just went on and on and on. It's so complex. Well, I overheard my boss trying to farm off, get get out of taking a case regarding Murdoch fam. <laughs> and I happened to sit right near my boss and I said, take it. He'll take it. And it went all the way to the high court. And what happened in the high court? Who won? The, the tax office had very, very good lawyers. Right. Um, but uh, uh, Dame Elizabeth Murdoch won. Cruden Farm. That's right. She won the case. She was a bit. All she, that effort. She was, you know, in the. She was a victor. She was a victim of Victorian values. Her husband Keith yes. gave her the rights to income, but wouldn't give her the rights to the ownership of uh, property capital. And um, so now her her son Rupert tried to correct that. This is all in the public domain, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he tried to correct that. And so he gifted her $85 million, and, um, and I assessed that as being income according to ordinary, because he was compensating her for the really the mistake of her, yep. and uh, it went all the way to the high, the high court found income ordinary, and so she was never... That what year? Uh, what year that was the High Court case? High Court, High Court case. Uh, that would have been uh, nineteen ninety nine, I think. Uh, many of these judges, right? Uh, no, there were Labor judges on the bench then. You know, like. Um, and they found. Oh, like, yeah. The only the only judge in the High Court who was ever worth anything was Lionel Murphy. Yep. That other guy um, uh, who found, you know, for a civil, number of civil liberties cases, he was pretty... It's not like Lionel. See, Lionel Murphy didn't really believe in... And so his judgments were not based on, you know, that sort of... They were based on real things. Yeah, like, like his, his decision, he was the only dissenting judge. The uh, case of government took to the High Court regarding the state giving money to private loss, six to one. Yeah. Well, he paid the price, handed to it. To his daughter, to the deaf, deaf for old Lionel. Yeah. Now, getting right. back to you, obviously you survived. Yep. When did you retire? I didn't retire. I was sacked by the Howard government. You were sacked. You were senior enough to be sacked. Yeah, that's right. I was sacked. I, it, my, my case uh, went all the way to the Industrial Relations Commission, Commission, and it is the high... If you look it up, the Australian Tax Office versus Kerr, C-U-R-R, you'll see yep. that I, I'm the definitive case on disrespect management. You didn't learn anything, did you, mate? No, code of conduct. You didn't learn anything. Disrespected management. That's right. Did you... It, it reminds you of the zero tolerance signs you see everywhere because there's so much underlying anger regarding bureaucracy, government, corporations. Yeah, so you'd, 
how did you disrespect them? Did you take your pants off in the middle of a meeting? No. Mumble under your breath? What did you do? I circulated a Dilbert cartoon and one of the senior managers thought that I had um, manipulated the cartoon to to make it look like it was him. But I, but I hadn't, um, and basically what the cartoon said was the, the boss, you know, I'm a technical officer, the boss would just call you into his office and he would say to you, look, um, you, I'll dictate, uh, you know, your judge, you, I had to write really rulings, I'll dictate your ruling and, um, and, and you'll just write it down, you know, you just, and, uh, and then I'll sign it. And uh, this boss, it, he, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Management doesn't know technical matters. And uh, anyway, this boss took it as being him not behaving correctly. And uh, but I hadn't manipulated the cartoon; it was just a fluke, you know. The, whoever did Gil, Dilbert cartoons had got it on. I wrote to the guy and said this had happened because I got the pink slip. And uh, I said, you know, Dilbert gave me a pink slip. And uh, one of the uh, Murdoch journalists picked up the story and published it, actually. Anyway, but so I went to court and they did. The court found that um, there had been some disrespect of me. Like, for example, they asked one manager what what was going on in, in my section. And he, he said, well, um, it, not, nothing really bad was going on in that section, that a little bit of... Um, uh, 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 psychotropic drugs wouldn't fix, you know. You administer some drugs to Mr. Kerr and he'll be all right, kind of thing. He'll be all right. <laughs> he'll be all right. A little bit of counselling and a few psychotropic drugs and he'll be okay. Was, was he right or wrong there, uh, here? Oh, well, it's not for me to say, is it? But I... I, <laughs> I, I you get a payout at least. No, I... I, I, I for two years, I... didn't pay you out. Did you lose all your super and everything? I lost um, part of my pension, but I was before pension I was before pension aid you know my super act so I was sacked when I was 53 Ooh, so I lit for the magic and I'd spent all my money um fighting them in the court and so I basically um my partner supported me in those two years right so after that were you kind of unemployable after that I tried to get several jobs but they were only like labor hire jobs and you know that when yeah. the contract was up that really so when did you retire well I ne I haven't retired Joe and not from life <laughs> Aid work. Well, I retire from life until they're dead. No, well, I, you know, like you said at the beginning, I, I worked at Triple Z for ten years, and uh, and now I work at Four PR Voice of the People. All right, let's go back to let's do Triple Z. Ten yeah. years. What did you do at Triple Z? I had a program called the Paradigm Shift, and it was ah, oh, yeah, I remember that program. Covered. Um, current affairs and we'd interview people and we'd select a theme for each week and it would do an hour show and uh, we were basically supporting left-wing want of a better yep. phrase yep. and um, so yeah that's that's what happened I did that for 10 years. 10 years so what did you get a tap on the shoulder at the end of 10 years? No on International Women's Day in 2021 yep. I played on the show eight uh, interviews or speeches with women involved in that the celebrations for International Day year yep. and um, uh, halfway through the program the manager of news at 4ZZZ busted into the studio like you are sitting there now only I was doing my own panelling and um, said you can't play that that person's a turf and uh, <laughs> I think that means a trans exclusionary radical feminist that's right and I said no, no, this is reportage. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing the interview. <laughs> like I'm just here as a reporter. Yeah. And uh, 
I said, look, if you want me to desist, you know, like the person said, look, you've got to stop. I hope you're not going to play any more of that stuff. I said, look, I'm happy to break the show. You're the the uh, manager of news. Come in and I'll interview you and you can give your side of the argument. No, that's not good enough these days. No, the person agreed and then agreed. left. Yeah, agreed and said, just give me a couple of minutes. And yeah. the person left and then didn't come back. So I played the rest of the um, uh, the speeches, including a speech given by a trans person. And um, when I walked out of the studio, I walked up the stairs because we had to upload all of our programs for yeah. the podcasts. And the station manager uh, fronted me at the top of the stairs and said, um, I'm I'm suspending you and uh, you will have to go through a process um, with the station management. Uh, and, Sounds uh, like re-education here, Ian. Very, very similar to re-education. <laughs> so uh, for being a, a reporter, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there it was. I so, understand. I think a lot of community radio stations like continue to say this. I have to say this, though, for the manager. I think from her, from her perspective, the actual manager's perspective, if, if she believed that the station couldn't support, you know, one speech out of eight or two speeches out of eight, and she felt that it was in contradiction to the purpose station, which she clearly did, it's her duty to act and not to, not to wait, unlike... 3CRs. When complaints have been made to, to 3CR, they they go into this bureaucratic process. So I think what she did was, it may not have been fair to me as a reporter, but at least she did act according to her own principles. And I, you well, know, look, no, 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 I disagree. Look, when you're in the community radio station, you don't act according to you act according. You know, um, people make people make executive decisions and committee decisions sometimes are outside the traditional uh, parameters of an organisation. Yep. that's and that's when that happens. But let's let's move on. So where have you moved to? I'm on 4PR Voice of the People. What po- are they? I'm a podcaster. Heard of them. What are they? Uh, 4PR Voice of the People is a podcast channel. You can get it on any of your favourite podcasting platforms. And we we do interviews. For example, I'm going to be covering the ALP National Conference here at the Convention Centre right. in, in August, in late August. Um, there, And we're going to, there's going to be protests inside and outside that conference against the AUKUS agreement. There's going to be protests against the lack of, of action on climate change um, on a whole, you know, we don't want to go to war with China. And um, that that I'll be covering that that conference. Hopefully, I'll get on the inside as well as being on the outside where the program. Right. And I we happen through a, an organisation that I'm part of, Left Press. We provide the speaking equipment for those demonstrations. We've done that since right. the, late, the late 80s. So most of the left wing demonstrations in southeast Queensland, the PA says to provide one of ours. Provide. Right. Could you tell me what's the podcast channel again? It's 4PR. Yep. Voice of the people. So PR can stand for anything. People's radio, pirate radio, political radio. Were you involved st- in setting it up or was it there and you moved into No, no. We set it up in 1978, I think it was, or 77, when Bielke Peterson banned street marches and we yep. used to transmit from Mount Cutha uh, as a pirate. As a pirate. Pirate, pirate, pirate transmission. Yeah, that's right. We ran people for the board of 4ZZZ because we believed that 4ZZZ, in order to go to get a higher power licence, they had banned two crucial radio programmes. One was um, uh, Mega Hers, the women's programme, and the other one was the Civil Liberties programme. And uh, they said they didn't want to upset 
the uh, Fraser government. And so we campaigned. We got one person on the board, but wasn't enough. And so we didn't get any voice on 4 triple Z. They just kept... But, but, you, but, but you, did, you did spend 10 years at triple Z. Uh, yeah, 30 years later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, uh, look, we've got two minutes. Tell us about this virtual Cuban dream. Yes, um, the what we're doing is this is our second year. We we ride a virtually from from Canberra to Cuba to Havana. We raise money, and that money goes to people sponsor us. So there's 63 riders. We've covered nearly 15,000 kilometres already, and people sponsor us, and we give that money to assist uh, with medical the the making of medical um, equipment and. Um, for a, a, a sort of like a, a kindergarten school for, for kids in Cuba. And How long have you been involved with the uh, uh, Cuba? Well, the Australian Cuba Friendship Society has been running in, in Brisbane since the early 1980s. That's right. And um, uh, there were several unions involved in that. And I've never been really closely associated with it, but I've always supported it. And, um, and of course, friends have have been involved in it and they've been traveling backwards and forwards to Cuba and you know basically I mean I grew up the same time as you so I remember the uh, the revolution I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis I remember the US government trying to kill Fidel Castro and I always was sympathetic to the Cubans from way back I've, I've you know they, if they wanted to have a revolution good on them yeah all right look it's been a pleasure talking to you Ian look if there's somebody listening to the program and they're interested in uh, radicalism in uh, Queensland and Brisbane. Any suggestions? Any websites to go? To? Yes, uh, workersbushtelegraph.com.au. And uh, that's where uh, we cover a lot of different issues current and also across Australia-wide. But there's a focus, you know, understandably on, on Queensland. But uh, we are the Red North after all. <laughs> you were the Red North. <laughs> we still are. You were the Red North, and you were the home of the Red Steer. Well, who were the people? Who were the people who challenged the federal government at the detention centre in in Kangaroo Point? Challenged challenged them to the extent that the, all of those people, those refugees, yeah. it was done here, not down there. Here, kind of. I don't want to rogue. All I can say is we're all on the same page. We're all fighting. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for uh, chatting with us, uh, Mr. Ian Kerr, C-U-A-R-R-R. Look him up on the virtual world and you'll see all the horrible and wonderful things he's done in his life. All power to you, right. Joe, and to Free CR. Yeah, thank you. When I finish you, I'm walking down to Inez. I'm going to berate her for telling me you are, you are a lovely bloke. That's right. And thanks for playing Margaret Roadnight in your intro. Well, we actually interviewed her. If you go to our podcast, you'll find her. I'm going to look it up. Okay, all the best. Thank you very see much. Ya. Look after yourself and keep fighting. Yep.